calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Du. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist's life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tananari do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of one sentence a day, life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. Hey, we're here. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. All right, settle down. We'll be here all week. Settle down. All right, all right. I'm not you. I was talking about the audience. All right, yeah. First of all, I would never speak to you in that tone of voice. Oh, never, sweet. Not not during our summer of love. Not ever, (laughs) but especially not during our summer of love. So it's great to be reunited with you here on the podcast. I know we see each other every day, but it's a different space. And I don't know, we have a great guest today that I can't wait to share with you. He'll be on a little bit over Kevin Grievous. I just learned how to pronounce that. Even. I know that name. I love, I'm in love with his name. That's a great name. It is a great name. And he does it all. Actor, writer, producer. If you saw Director. Underworld or know of the Underworld franchise, this is your guy. This and man created a major science fiction horror action franchise. That is such a rare thing for a human being to be able to do that I yes. am, you know, it's, I'd love to be able to do that. You know, oh, and, and by the way, he's black. So there black. it is. And he acted in it as well. <laughs> you, know. you never know. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. They're, they're just so melanin starved that they got a, a little crazy when they heard that, but it's always exciting, you know, when you, when you have a project that you like and you like look up the, the creator and it's like, oh shoot, that's a brother. Joe. 
Yep, that's right. So yes. what's been going on in the last, you know, just before we, we bring him in, I, I'm eager to do that, but we need to talk about what's happening in our lives. So why don't you get us ready for that? That's our what's going on music, because what's going on is always so amazing and so uh, inspirational for us, because that's how we like to keep it. We keep it that way. So I'll just start. Generally speaking, I literally just got back from having a writing session with another Southern California-based writer. I won't even say who, because, you know, it's funny. Sometimes when writers say they want to get together, first of all, they never show, they never do actually do it. That might be an L.A. thing with screenwriters in particular, not to call you all out. We, we once had a party where six writers said they were coming and didn't come. So writers do not. So you could tell she's a novelist, first of all, because she actually made the suggestion. She actually came to, to do it. I and I that's just such an unusual thing. She just wanted to get together with you and hang out and do some writing in a shared space. That's so cool. And and she's going to be a guest at a later date. So maybe we'll, we'll talk about it more then. Okay. But she's a New York Times bestseller that I met on a, a horror panel at the uh, Los Angeles Times Book Fest. And we live basically 20, 25 minutes away from each other, which is also rare because we're east of L.A. So I, don't know, I might be making a friend, you know, an age, they say you don't make new friends, but I like it's, to buy. It gets harder. It gets harder for lots of different reasons. But what else is, you know, for me, you know, I guess you know, the question of what's been going on since the last broadcast, you know, I'm still working on the Star Wars novel. You know, I'm up to 135. I think I hit 135 pages today. All and right. I like to write scripts first. You know, I write a script first as an expanded form of outline. And the script writing software is superior to Microsoft Word for fiction writers. For a variety of reasons, I think it's a, a vertical market as opposed to horizontal. They have to make this this work for creative writers. And I can write a script that that acts as a really solid outline of a novel in about two months. I mean, I can write the whole thing there, and I've got I've got the dialogue, I've got the characters, I've got the situation, and I can see if the whole thing is working. You know, and ordinarily it might take me a year to write write a draft of a full book. But if in two months I can have a script, it might be a 200 page script mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that shows me every basic thing in the book and it works at that level, then all I have to do is turn that script into a rough draft and then polish that rough draft. And I've got a novel in it and, and I know that it works. And one of the things that happened today was I realized that in order for a particular character to create an alliance with another character, I needed to to expand that character's point of view. Now, there's the question: Why should these two people who do not trust each other at all? Why could, under what circumstances could they have an, an alliance? There's and always that, a, a way to do it. There's always a way to do it. It simply made me expand my view of what was going on in the situation, so that their personal troubles didn't matter anything in comparison to the amount they might conceivably profit by working together. And at that point, it all became real, and it it colored the entire situation differently. So I, I love it when stories reveal themselves to you when the needs of a character to do something makes you rethink the situation or the needs of a situation make you rethink the character that I, I will go into a situation. I'll go into a story feeling like I have a grasp of some basic aspects in the same way that if you understand geometry, you might, you know, take just three points and you can draw a circle. If you've got three points, you can describe the rest of the circle. So I know my unconscious mind 
understands the full circle, but my conscious mind only understands a few points. So there's always a sense of, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. I am going on nothing but faith, you know, and I always into that dark night of the soul thing where it feels like I, this, this is the time when it's all going to fall apart, when I don't know what I'm doing, that I'm never going to find my rhythm. That voice is always there. It's always there. It's always been there. As far as I'm concerned, it'll always be there. The only difference now is that I ignore it. I just, yeah, that's the advantage advantage of of being a pro and having done it as long as we have is that yeah we hear the voice but we bat it away I think more easily than some people do when they're first starting out because you think the voice means something and that it's real it's just fear it's no big deal everybody has it just work through it well I'll just give a quick teaser before I introduce our guest we are enjoying our summer of love which I think we've alluded to previously a little bit on the podcast and if not it's just for the next well less than 90 days now but it started out as a 90 day not a challenge but a joy to express and experience and ruminate upon how much we really mean to each other every single day for me (laughs) it's five times a day reminding myself that i need to put you first you know and it's just like and then what can i say what can i do do i understand how to make her feel as precious and as loved as i possibly can and that that commitment for 90 days until the beginning of September has made me rethink myself as a human being. And if I'm going to give you that much love, I need to be connected to a source of love deeper inside me. So I'm not a bucket. I'm more like a hose. I'm, oh. I'm conducting love. Watch that. Me. Okay. Watch that talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> conducting anyway, and hosing. I don't know what's going on here. Wonderful. No, but that sounds great. That it is. Sounds it's, great. It's, it's and terrific. thank you. We're enjoying so, it and we're having a great time. But I'm I'm ready to bring on our guest. Absolutely. Let's let's Can't go right wait, to it. So would wait. you would you do the intro? I will. Kevin Grievous. Again, we just figured out how to pronounce that. It, it, I would have called it Grivo. But Grievous is what it is. And what a great name for someone who does horror. (laughs) Is an actor, writer, producer. I mean, you name it, he does it in 2022. He just directed, wrote, and produced an action film called King of Killers, starring Frank Grillo. I think I saw Stephen Dorff's name in there, too, who was also in Blade. Based on his Darkstorm graphic novel, 2019, you might recognize the voice of the Vault Keeper in the EC Comics Presents The Vault of Horror, which was a full cast audio drama. But Underworld is the one people most recognize that that film. What year was Underworld? Do you remember? 2004 2000 came yeah so underworld is is basically one of those you know everybody knows it everybody's seen it and that is a rare thing in this business so let's bring on our guest kevin grievous (laughs) hey kevin thanks for joining us oh glad to be here thank you for having so, so listen, you've done so many things I, and you're a natural storyteller. I would love for you to just kind of give us an overview of your journey and, you know, in, in this business, you know, and I think that the, the most important single thing that I want to make sure that you talk about is your journey to creating Underworld and getting it on the screen. So, and then we can go on from there, but that, that one point right there, that's such a massive success. I would love to hear about the steps that led to it. Okay. So, so I guess my, uh, 
journey was a kind of zigzag one because even though I always liked, you know, I was a monster kid growing up, you know, not necessarily comic books. I didn't get the comic books until I was about 12. But, you know, my first exposure to, I guess, monsters was, you know, dinosaurs, you know, they're real monsters, things like that. And so that led me to science fiction and a host of other things. And so, you know, but, you know, I grew up in a different era than these kids now. So there was no path really to get to Hollywood. I was born in 62. So when I was in college, no one was majoring in film. So the path I took, since I love science fiction, was to sublimate that desire by going into real science. Yeah, you went so into microbiology, didn't you? Yeah, I was a microbiology yeah. major. Oh, heck, that's and, and awesome. So, and in grad school, I got my, you know, I started my master's in genetic engineering. Now, the thing is, Spike Lee came out with his movie, She's Gotta Have It, in 86. And immediately after I saw that, I, that kind of put everything together creatively, because I didn't even know we could do those sort of things. Like I said, there was no one to really point to. There was no, you know, internet back then. Yeah, please. Yeah, so when I saw this young brother, you know, um, doing film, I'm like, okay, that's what I want to get into, but I can't, you know, know, stop now and change my major. So I went ahead with the, you know, got finished my degree and then started grad school. And while I was in grad school, I, con- I congruently took two curriculums. So one was genetics. The other was television and film. And, you know, I was going to see which one out by the time the year ended. Because I, I already worked at NIH in Bethesda, Maryland, outside of D.C. So I was already working in the field. But, man, I got to tell you, I was in seminar one day. And I was writing a screenplay. And that let me know that, you know what? I don't think science is for me anymore. So I just withdrew from the uh, master's program. And now it was about trying to figure out how to get to California and how to get into the film industry, given the fact that I don't know anyone. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Most people don't. Yeah, most marginalized people do not. No one to talk to. Even when I got out here, you know, there was really no one to talk to. And I guess my first entrance, you know, into the film industry, I did a Michael Jackson video for John Singleton. And I met him and we hit it off, you know, for whatever reason. And I remember, I don't know what happened, but I wound up getting in a three-way conversation, you know, with, well, not three-way, there was someone else there, but John Singleton, Michael Jackson, and someone else about well, something about the production. And I had an idea and I just blurted it out. I mean, I'm a stupid, you know, you know, extra, <laughs> you know, with this Egyptian guard. And what business do I have, you know, or right do I have to open my mouth? But you know what? Uh, because of that, John liked what I said, and I actually wound up writing a spec script for the Black Panther movie that he was supposed to be directing 
for Island Pictures back then, starring Wesley Snipes. Oh, so what? that kind of acclimated me into the entire process. And it took a while for me to sell something after that. But it's like that started me on that path and let me know, hey, I can do this. Yes. That so, is a great story. Can, yeah, can I back so, you up one second? Can I back you up one second? Yes, ma'am. Because first of all, you're the second guest, Cheo Hadari Coker being the last one for whom John Singleton was that door that opened. Yes, yes, yes. And 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 we were and we miss him. And I just wanted to acknowledge that. But also, how did you even get on that set as an extra? Yeah, that's yeah. what you, I want to know. You know what? I had a friend. He was a casting director uh, or casting director assistant. His name was Tony Lee. And I think, you know, his mother, you know, Congressman Barbara Lee. And so I knew him and met him through someone. And he suggested, hey, why don't you be in this video? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I wasn't working. I had just gotten there. I needed money. And so it was like, okay, cool. I'm down. And that's how I got on. I I think sometimes the universe gives seekers a ping when they first come to L.A. So for you, it was that incredible experience and that great connection. For Steve and I, within the six months that we first got here, honey, you were having a conversation with Steven Spielberg on the Fox lot, you know, and nothing happened. Nothing happened for a long time after that. But just just to feel the embrace and possibility is so huge. Yeah, you know, I think that I think moments like that are important because they let you know that this is a real possibility, you know, because when I was coming up, pretty much people laughed at you if you wanted to do something that lofty in a field that esoteric, especially where there's not many of us. You know what I'm saying? Their thing is like, oh, you're dreaming, you know. It's not going to work. And so, you know, it's one of those things where, well, you know, you have to try. And if you don't do it, then you're going to hate yourself for the rest of your life. And who wants that? Right. So, you know, I've always said it's a young single man's game. Yeah. And, you know, you really have to go out there and do what you can and take a chance. I mean, I even had to live in my car for six weeks. There you go. So did Rodney Barnes. So did so many others that we've talked to. The people who make it are the people who are willing to be homeless, if necessary, to place themselves at risk. Life belongs to the risk takers. And and you are willing to do that. And if you you knew some people, but you also could have done that by living in your car and getting a menial job at a studio somewhere, anywhere, just to get through the door, just to be on the inside, just to start meeting people and making connections. That's one thing that is common between people's stories. You get in where you can, doing whatever you can to make those first connections. And a lot yeah, of yeah, exactly. All, you, all exactly. you have to sell is your energy and your integrity. Exactly. You know? And what's funny, because I remember I was, you know, trying to be as safe as I could be. And I parked by a metro station or a metro link or something like that. And, you know, I was awakened to the sound of someone tapping on my window. And I turn around and it's a cop. And you should have seen his face. He was like, <sighs> so I rolled down the window and he's like, sir, I thought you were dead. 
And he's like, I don't know what your situation is, but you do realize this isn't safe. And so I'm like, well, I understand officer, (laughs) you know, but I was like, but he's like, please don't do this, you know? And so I just, you know, moved the car, you know, did what I had to do, found another spot, (laughs) you know, but, you know, during this time, I was still jotting things down, even though I didn't have a computer, you know, at the time and still trying to write and work and figure it out, you know? And so, you know, we can fast forward um, to Underworld. So in order to, you know, keep myself in cheeseburgers and french fries and have a roof over my head, I promised myself I wouldn't do what I had done before in order to, quote unquote, make it. Because I didn't want to fall back on the things I had previously done. Because usually doing that provides a sense of familiar comfort. And if things get hard, you're going to say, you know what? Screw it. This is it. This is how it's going to be. So I promised myself I wouldn't work in another laboratory. And I wouldn't bounce anymore because I was a bouncer in D.C. So, you know, my thing was I wasn't going to do those things anymore. And so when I got to L.A., being on that, you know, Michael Jackson set, that gave me a window to start looking at doing extra work. And, you know, extra work provided enough money so that I could pay my bills. You know, it took a minute, but it provided enough money so I could pay my bills. Now, so I did that for, I think about eight years. Eight years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did extra work for eight years. Now, during that time, I had been writing the whole time, not selling anything, but I had still been writing. And I had gotten parts in commercials, Mm -hmm. some movies, some TV shows. You know, you know, I realized that, you know, looking at extra work, it was probably the best thing for me because here's what I realized that doing extra work, if you pay attention, it can be the best free film school that you will ever attend. All you have to do is be observant, Mm -hmm. keep your mouth shut and pick out the people who you think are going to be receptive to being asked questions. And they need to be heartfelt questions, things that you've thought of, not silly questions, but acting as if you really care and you're really trying to find out. You're not some extra trying to be a movie star. You're trying to be an actor and a filmmaker. How do you get that? You know, how do you get here? Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. And like I said, you know, when I first got here, I had no intention of being an actor. 
I just wanted to be a writer. That's it. But some people thought I had a look or I had a sound to my voice or a pitch to my voice. Or you, you, you have an amazing so voice. That. So that thing was like, yeah. you know what? <laughs> you might be able to do something more. So I took that to heart. And that's why I started doing the extra work and all that. But, you know, that that's what I found out. But during that time, I was an extra on Stargate, you know, and Lynn Wiseman, who was the director of Underworld, <laughs> he was a prop assistant, <laughs> you know, oh, not even a full gosh. prop guy. He was a prop assistant. And, you know, he saw me and he thought I was somebody else. He thought I was an actor he had seen in another movie. So he approached me because there's this film he wanted to do, this Western. Now, that never happened at all. But we found out that we had a lot in common because we liked the same kind of movies. So we struck up a friendship. And, you know, you know, I remember when he, I was in a couple of his music videos and, you know, we had even written a script together at one point. You know, he wasn't a writer, but, you know, he was an idea guy. I had an idea. We came together and I wrote it. So, you know, he trusted my science fiction horror creative mind, you know, my ideas. And so he was having a hard time getting his first film off the ground. And, you know, I see him was just sending him horrific scripts, you know, things that you would be surprised even got bought and even more so even got attachments from some prominent actors, you know, but they all came with money. So when mm. something comes with money, that's all that matters. So I remember he called me one day and he's like, look, I met with Dimension Films and they want to do a werewolf movie because Blade did so well for the vampire genre. You know what I'm saying? And he says, well, well, he said, well, what do you think? And I'm like, I said, not much. And the reason being is because if I can use this word, werewolves really aren't sexy. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. In a cool kind of way. And the technology at the time had it that there were only really two, maybe three werewolf movies that you could speak of that held the public's attention. And, you know, the first, of course, being the, the original Wolfman. Yeah. You know, and then in the 80s, you had The Howling, yeah. which was the first time I ever saw a snout-nosed, bipedal, you know, werewolf creature. And then, of course, American Werewolf in London. Yeah. That is the yeah. <laughs> Yes, so... Those were the, the, you know, the templates as far as what has been done with the werewolf genre that was good and decent. So I told him I'd be interested if we made sure that the creatures were snout-nosed and bipedal. And if we could do that, I'm down. So I said, give me a week and let me see what I come, you know, what I come up with. So I came up with an idea that he liked and so he's like okay well you know come over to the you know to the crib and uh, you know let's go over it you know and see what we can do so we had this all-day session you know beating out the story points and towards the end i said look dude i have another idea 
you know, that we should think about. Now, the reason I wanted to do this idea was because I had a friend of mine who got a, a, a tremendous opportunity with the Jim Henson Company to do, you know, a project over there. <clears throat> and, you know, you know how when you go into your meeting, you have the, you know, concomitant, you know, small talk, you know, and all that, you know. Yes. And so after that, he said, you know, the guy says, okay, what do you got? He says, well, you know, I have this cool, you know, Bigfoot story. And the way we want to, do, you know, want to do it. And the guy said, oh, we already have something with Bigfoot. What do you have? What else? And they were like, <laughs> looking around and says, well, that's it. And it's like he had that, that one idea. And the guy was like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> you know. People you know, out there don't never do that. See, yeah, see, see you next time. Exactly. Always, always have a back pocket is, idea. I never got back in that room. Never. So that was an opportunity that was squandered. So I told Lynn, it's like, we have to have more than one idea in case they don't like this one. And he's like, well, I don't have anything. And I'm like, what if we do a Romeo and Juliet story? But instead of Montagues and Capulets, we have werewolves on one side, but we have vampires on the other. And what we do is we make it this surrealistic interracial love story that spans a 600-year-old race war. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And, you know, he didn't like the idea. He was like, you know, he crossed his arms. He was like, dude, is this going to work? And I said, it will if we do it right. And, you know, the rest is history. You know? The rest is history. Rest is history. That is so great. Yeah. There are so many parts of that story I love. <laughs> they, yes. they have the back pocket idea, the amount of drive and persistence that you are repeating. We cannot tell our audience enough. Eight years of being an extra in order to get the opening you need to do the thing that you really <laughs> want to do. Yeah. People willing to do that, they're called winners. That's right. They're called people who winner. create their lives. Now, one yeah. thing before Tanana goes off. In case I, you know, I, am. <laughs> I talk um, a lot. I read that you deliberately made the role of was it Mace? What, what's what was it? What's the name of the role that you played in? in Raise. Raise. You yeah. deliberately made that role so small that no rapper would be interested in playing. Well, well, well yeah. Here's here's you know what I was thinking. You know, as we were rewriting the script, because you know the. Um, Lynn's agent brought in another writer since, you know, this is my now going to be a bigger film. And, you know, I wasn't represented so they could do that. And, you know, my thing was play the game. So, you know, you can play again. So my role that I wrote for myself started to expand. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Now, I am a small character actor whose name no one knows. Now, if you make this role too big, you know, it's going to, they're going to bring in a rapper to play it, and I don't want that. So the character that I had 
as Razor's, you know, boss, which was, you know, played by Michael Sheen, you know, Lucian, I said, expand his role. You know what I'm saying? Expand his role. That way I can stay tucked away. And it's just a matter of just assigning me the role and that's it. And so you have to kind of be strategic and you don't want to be too egotistical because once again, I learned another lesson from a guy. He wanted to do the Sylvester Stallone thing. You know, he wrote a script and he demanded that he direct and star in it. And the producer, a producer wanted to buy it, but he says, I cannot give you that deal. And and so he says, well, I'm going to hold on to it. And 25 years later, Mm, 25 years later, it was still sitting in his drawer. And he told me he always wondered that would his career taken a different turn had he capitulated, played ball, and just let the producer have it and do what he want, you know, what he wanted with it. And my thing was always split the difference. Well, you know, well, I don't Stallone didn't be, direct Rocky, he just starred in it. Exactly. He, you know, so he so he didn't get to to direct as well until he had some leverage. So your your friend did not have the leverage that he thought he had. And, you know, exactly. And my thing is this too. I don't have to be number one through five on the call sheet, but I can be six through ten. You see what I'm saying? Yes. And let my performance speak for itself. And because I'm the creator, I still get all the creative accolades. You see what I'm saying? Let me ask you a question. Was was yes. your father in the military? Yes, he was. Yeah. Huh. So, and he was part of he was part of your life, right? Yes, of course. Because you think very strategically. You are the things you're talking about sound like somebody planning a military campaign. Yeah, I mean, well, I did have a plan. Yeah, and it wasn't without hiccups because, you know, one of the things that I, I realized is that with a lot of creative people, a lot of us are, let me see if I can, you know, say this right. A lot of us are practically. Man, this way I want to say this, I I put it together just the other day because I was trying to explain to a friend of mine. You know, we're practically wrong a lot of times when it comes to how you need to comport yourself in order to make a way that people understand and they can back. And, you know, you know, you know, and they can understand, you know, things like that. But I think. Functionally, we end up being, you know, kind of right. And what I mean by that is that we're not practical the way we do things. But I think that the way we do them within ourselves, they can work if things fall right for us. I don't know if I'm saying it right. Let me try that. Let me see whether or not. Yeah, yeah. I know I'm missing it, but I said it the other day. The way I look at it is that you have a creative person is like a store. And they're making, and and we understand that we have to make the product. 
in the store. That's the art or the you store. Whatever. But we don't understand that we also have to promote. We also have to hire employees. We have to have a team. We have to take care of the infrastructure. We, we have, have to learn how to work on deadlines. <clears throat> That's right. Then, and within it's, budget. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like the creative part of us is functionally a child. Yes. It just wants to create and dance and and, and be thrown money by our, our, our nieces and nephews and, and our no not our niece and nephew but our our aunts and uncles who think it isn't isn't that that a, br- a bright child the problem is that every house on the block has one of those bright children and when yeah. they get out into the world they have to be their own parents the the yeah. parental part of us has to be strategic right. has to be tactical has yeah. to look at these things has to be disciplined but create a safe place for that little creative muffin inside us to just kind of say vampires and, and werewolves, wouldn't it be cool? Exactly, exactly. Them off against exactly. them. That's well, who doesn't want to write that story, but <clears throat> you were willing to do the discipline necessary to get to a position where somebody else was safe within themselves and their kid and your kid became friends because exactly. the adults were also <clears throat> taking care of business and, and I, th- that gave you what you needed. Yeah. I also just want to observe if it's okay. You look like you were eager to say something that at every step you have used that kind of strategic thinking. I wonder, is it the scientist in you, perhaps? You know, it it probably is. And and here's what I remember that I wanted to say. You know, as as a creative, you know, a lot of us, especially, you know, with a lot of the way the way that men think, things like that, especially if you're, you know, married or with a woman or whatever, you know. Us as creative men are, you know, practically wrong. And I say we're practically wrong because, you know, you have to be almost kind of selfish, you know, in the classical sense, in order to see a lot of these things come to fruition. And you don't necessarily see things along the same path as most people think you should if you want to make a success. We can't necessarily walk that straight line. We have to zigzag here and there, and we might do things that don't necessarily make any sense, you know, at the time, but later on, we look at them and it's like, no, that was the right decision. So we're, you know, practically wrong, but functionally, the way things work in our mind, we are correct. And the thing is, I cannot tell you how many people I know, you know, they had one hand on the yoke. (laughs) <laughs> but the other hand was, you know, someplace safe. And it's like they were divided, double-minded, if you will, taking a biblical, you know, adage. And they never were able to do anything, you know. But if you put both hands on the yoke and let the chips fall where they may, understanding that you need to have the discipline, it might not look pretty. It might not happen today nor tomorrow, but eventually it will. You know what I'm saying? I know that you have to have that confidence. Certainly people who have that confidence who don't make it, but no one without that confidence makes it. You have to decide, you have to kind of say, I'm I'm prepared to die being who I am. this, This is what I, I got to a point where I realized I would rather fail as a writer than succeed in anything else. Oh, and at oh that yeah. Point, yeah. I just burned my bridges behind me and said, well, let it be. Let's find out. Yeah, what I got. You know, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I've told a lot of guys, you know, guys who have been out here for a while, it can be a young single man's game. 
but you have to make sure that you're doing the do too. You know, I know I can't tell you how many people that I have met who have gone to like, let's say USC's film school and they're my age and have not done a thing. And, you know, I knew this one guy, you know, I guess I met him when I was almost 40 and well, maybe not almost 40. Well, yeah, I was about 34, something like that. And I met him on an extra set, found out he went to USC's film school and graduated and had not worked yet. Mm. And I'm like, well, wait a minute now. What are you you talking about? I mean, you had a job and you got fired. He was like, no, he had been able to, you know, break in. And this was a white dude. And I'm like, you're confusing me because, you know, I thought that, you know, you go to USC's film school, the best film school in the world, that makes everything an open door. And he says, that's the myth that everyone was told doesn't work that way. But in further talking with him, he told me that he didn't write. Mm -hmm. He actually thought that when he got out of film school, that people were just going to start sending him scripts. And I'm like, in what Mm. universe did you think that would happen? You didn't write anything. He says, well, I wrote one and, you know, but it didn't sell. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh, this story is hurting. And and the thing is, he's not the only one I know like that. I think that the average is something like two feet of scripts. You, know, you yeah. talk to people, it's about, about two feet of scripts. It, it yeah. seems to be about the average before people people get through. Yeah. And if I can shout out Mrs. Estiver, my high school English teacher in 11th grade, who told me in order to be a writer, you have to wallpaper your wall with rejection slips. Best exactly. advice I ever got. I, I will repeat it every podcast as I, if I think about it, because it is so true. Yeah, the, the, the million <laughs> words of garbage that you have to yes. write your way through before yes. you find your voice, your way of saying things, your way of seeing the world. One of the things that's impressive about you is that, you know, like my karate instructor, who I owe so much for my attitude, his his attitude is the word defeat does not exist in my fighting science. I will find a way or make one. And you, I'm just looking at these comics that you sent us. You have made your own way. You're not waiting for anybody. Yeah. You're 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 doing it. It's like I I read your your Bass Reeves, you know, and all I know is where's the rest of it? <laughs> you know, you knew how to tell a story, you knew how to leave room for the artist to breathe, which suggests to me that's room for the actors to breathe. You you understood when to stop a given story where I'm leaning in and saying where's the, where's more next month. So it's very clear that you're you're constantly working, you're constantly pushing yourself. And that strategic thing, did you, that strategic mind that you got either from your dad or from the sciences or just from that God gave you or that you developed yes. yourself, what is going on with you right now? This is what you're up to at this moment. Tell us a little bit about what Kevin Grievous is at this moment. You mean what, what the way I feel about myself or what I'm doing? Both. I would assume <laughs> that with a guy like you, they're not totally different things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, well, 
you know, one of the things I can tell you that, you know, you should always be in a state of constant construction or creativity, meaning that you wake up creating and you go to sleep creating. It's who you are and what you do. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and one of the one of the things I have <laughs> you know it's like one of the things that I have learned in my you know travels is that you're going to meet a lot of people and you want to be able to take advantage of every opportunity that might present itself so once I got here I said well Maybe I should limit myself to just, you know, screenwriting. That's when the acting came in. And maybe it's not just screenwriting, but looking into comic books and then video games and then animation. You see what I'm saying? And then novels, because it's all creating within this milieu of creative products and media that you should be taking advantage of. So one of the things I thought, I said, I am going to write as many scripts as I have for ideas, if I can. But what the reason I did that is because, let's say for chance I meet someone who gives me an opportunity in a particular genre that I'm not necessarily familiar with. Well, I want to be able to give them something that I already have or been working on where I'm only two weeks away from giving them what they need. You see what I'm saying? I said, give me two weeks. I have an idea, something I've already been working on, and we'll see what happens. And the thing is that has worked well for me over the years, you know, whereas they might not buy that, but I might be hired to do this. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. To me, when I was doing voiceovers for some of the animated, you know, cartoons I've done, don't think I didn't put in my bid to write an episode. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. So when I did Young Justice, a voice for Young Justice, I was like, hey, is there an opportunity for me to write an episode? Well, he says, well, I got to give first dibs to the guys who rock with me, you know, in the first two seasons. So we'll see what happens. So it got renewed after years. Now, I didn't get one that upcoming new season. But the season after that, I did. And I got that because he also saw my writing. He knew I'd done Underworld. But he had read a comic book I had done for DC, you know, a miniseries. And he was like, man, I love that. And there you go. There you go. One medium can feed another, you know, so you don't need to turn anything down. Just take it as another opportunity and another way in because it will pay dividends later on. I have to ask the question, have you been kind enough to write your thoughts about success in Hollywood into an article or a class? Because you're spitting so much wisdom. You're saying so many quotable comments here. And I... I'm so glad that we're capturing this conversation <laughs> because this somebody is going to watch this conversation and their life is going to change because they're listening to you. You know, and sometimes they have to hear the same thing from enough different people. But all I'm saying is that I love how strategic 
you think? Yeah. This is, you know, it, it, I, I just want mad respect, Kevin. Seriously. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Tenondre, you had something. No, you're 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 muted. Rosebud. Okay. I wanted to ask you about your Kickstarter. You have a project you're you're working on <laughs> about yes. to launch. Let's tell our audience all about it and how they can okay. help. Okay, that sounds good. Okay, so I am doing a Kickstarter. Uh it's called Aura, Rise of the Gen. And it's a really cool story, you know, it's a thrilling tale, tale about a terminally ill police detective who discovers that she is the prophesied member and leader of an ancient race of jinn from ancient summer. And, you know, it's something I've had in my head for, <clears throat> you know, quite some time. And, you know, I finally, you know, was able to get it out. And I did it with uh, some friends of mine over at Cinescope in the form of a three-issue miniseries. But now we're going to offer it, or I'm going to offer it, as a trade paperback with some new material, you know, mm. and a cool cover drawn by Ron Gardy, you know, and some, you know, some other guys. And it's going to be a really cool project. And so... I have a, a, a pre-launch Kickstarter page, you know, that you can go to. You can go to my Twitter account or my Facebook page or my Instagram, and you can see it. And what you are, just give us those up. addresses, please. Yeah. And okay. It, okay. At, at Instagram, I'm at, at Kevin Grievous. And at Facebook, just my name, Kevin Grievous. Twitter, at Kevin Grievous. And you can find them there. You can find the links there. And, yeah, and I'll point out to the audience that Grievous is with an X, not an S at the end. Well, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Spell with an X sounds like an S. Yes. You know, so that... The way I put it, it sounds like it rhymes with previous. <laughs> <laughs> it rhymes with previous. That's, that's just great. Well, thank um, goodness for crowdfunding. You know, oh, yes. we, we'd like to, this is the moment when we always kind of guide things into talking about the sponsor of the show, yes. which in this particular case, because we're in the middle of our 90 day love fest, we love talking about the soulmate process because the, what the soulmate process is, is what's kept Tananarive and I together, how we found right. each other. And it's also about the care and feeding of a healthy relationship once, once you have it. So yes, Tananarive, tell us a little bit about your position on that. Well, I love listening to Kevin talk about that particular animal creatives are and how they have to be willing to just dive in. And as many times as I've joked to people that, yeah, maybe it would have been nice if one of us had a job. <laughs> no, especially early in our marriage when we were both freelance writers. I, I really, I really would not trade that feeling of someone who feels the exact same way. Yeah, this is nuts what we're doing. This is not moving to Southern California with these property values, or at least for me, it was. <laughs> you grew up here, so it's a little different for you. There are so many things you could just say, this is nuts, this is nuts, this is nuts. But we were committed to our art, and we were both looking in the same direction. And the art and the relationship are so intertwined that sometimes it's hard even to separate them. That's how connected we are. Well, you know, I would just say this. You were exactly what I did not know I needed that my heart was yearning for a partner, somebody I could really share my life path with. And, and there was a, a, a bunch of work I had to do on myself to be ready to recognize 
it, I mean, I had, we had a, a tiny little window of opportunity to, to recognize each other and act on it. And I, I needed the clarity. The clarity gave me the courage. I saw that clearly. And the soulmate process is all about how do you turn yourself into the person who can have what your heart yearns for in terms of a partner. And I, I love, I love it. We, and because we're doing this 90 day process, we've cut the price 66% on the program. Go to soulmateprocess.com, www.soulmateprocess.com. It's a downloadable program. We stand behind it hundred percent. And the people who you have in your life, we all know that the friends you have can help make a massive difference in your life. That is even more true of your significant other, the person who shares your life, your bed, you, you know, your bills, lives under your roof with you. Don't se- you get this one life to live. Don't settle for less than a love that you can celebrate every day. And you wake up in the morning and think, thank God I have. You know, it's better to be alone than to be with the wrong person. So the first thing to do is to get right with yourself. And we cover that. But then how yes. do you recognize the right person? So it's www.soulmateprocess.com. Whether uh, you you could already be in a relationship and you're looking for ways to make that relationship even stronger or more fulfilling, which is the continuing journey we're still on. That's right. You could be a single person who is just curious about, you know, I, I may be pretty happy single, but are there some things that I could look at and questions I can ask that would help me maybe attract new people into my life, whether they are intimate friendships or just more friendships, you know, all these things. It's just learning how to open ourselves up to love. And our 25th anniversary is coming up very soon on August 1st. So it's only appropriate right. that- right. It's in the middle of our love feast, and we're sharing that feast with you at this deeply reduced price at www.soulmateprocess.com. I love you very much, honey. I love you, too. Now, Kevin, what you, it, final statements from you, things you'd like people to know about you, where you know, you've already said where they can find you, but is there anything we did not ask that you would like to make sure to put out into this space? No, that pretty much covers it. I think you guys got to uh, have a great program here. Um, very enjoyable. Um, I like the way you ask questions. Uh, really brings out, you know, the essence of the creator and creativity and what it means, you know. And I really appreciate that, you know. Well, we really appreciate platforms like this because, you know, one of the things I find about, you know, find about a lot of podcasts is that. They don't always tell the truth, you know. Now, we all know there's a level of shenanigans, you know, (laughs) with everything. So, you know, a lot of times people who are, you know, wisdom seekers or information seekers can't really, you know, get the information that they're seeking. They're like, well, wait a minute, you know, you guys are are telling me something with one hand tied behind your back and I can tell, no, give me the straight skinny. So I appreciate you guys format where you allow me to do that. I I feel like everything I've accomplished in my life is because there was someone who had clarity in the truth, who took pity on me, who shared with me, who pointed me in the right direction when I was lost or picked me up when I was discouraged. And all I want to do is to Mm -hmm. give back that to the world for all of my struggles and all the things that we're not able to do that we're trying to do and the things that we're doing. I love this business. 
I love creating. I, I, I just love this. And the people who want to do this, they have 100% of my respect and affection and regard. And I, I want to give them the best chance they can to live a life of meaning, however <clears throat> they define that. And just, I am exactly. the, the writers of the world, the artists of the world, they are my tribe. And yes. Kevin, when you're talking about feeling tactical and strategic about the arts, you know, brother. <laughs> that is exactly. I understand that. you, and I said, you know, how come we have not been hanging out? <laughs> that is exactly what people need to hear. And yeah. thank you so much for breaking it down. Maybe you do need to write that book, but uh, just putting it out there. Just putting yeah, it out yeah, there. I'll think about it. But, yeah, everyone, but more than anything, just success, however you define it, you know. And you know, bless you for being here, and thank you for all that you've done and accomplished, and you've shared with us. Yes, okay, absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Everybody go and make yourself the hero or heroine of your own story. The hero and the adventure of your lifetime. All right. Okay. You guys take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life.